Thanks for listening to the Thyroid Fixer podcast with your host, me, Dr. Amy Horneman, aka the Thyroid Fixer, functional medicine practitioner, hormone and weight loss expert. We're talking all things thyroid, hormone, and health related in order to empower, educate, and transform you. So if you're ready to get your life back, let's get started. Just for the record, I love hearing the topics that you want to hear about because Ultimately, this podcast is for you. So thank you to all in the Girl Fix Your Thyroid group who posted different ideas, amazing ideas for topics of a podcast. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. So we're going to do one today. We are going to go over labs and the combination of labs and what you should be looking for and what the different red flags mean. We may not cover each and every lab ever done, but we're going to hit the big ones. We're going to hit the big ones. And we're going to do some combos of if this, then this with your thyroid labs, because I even get these questions from practitioners, from prescribers, from doctors, from nurse practitioners, from PAs when they're seeing these thyroid lab combinations, and I'm telling you, we've talked about this before, unless you are a thyroid expert, the thyroid is a very, very nuanced thing. Conventional medicine makes it seem very simple. You test TSH, if it's high, throw on some T4 and call it a day. It is not that simple at all. I will argue that till the day I die, that is the hill I am dying on. You cannot just work with anyone because you will get screwed, royally screwed. They will do the bare minimum. They don't understand the the combinations of the different numbers paired up with what you're on, paired up with your symptoms. So we're going to do some scenarios today too that will educate you as a patient. And then you'll be able to better understand yourself, but also better understand whether or not the practitioner that you're working with knows a darn thing about the thyroid. All right, so let's dive into labs. I'm actually, I have my lab panel pulled up, my very recent one. So I'm gonna use that as reference to go through and we're gonna discuss them, all the different labs. So let's start with the lipid panel. First of all, and I get this question a lot, total cholesterol. Did you know that the total cholesterol lab value range used to go up to 300. That's where you would get flagged. Now, in recent years, they have lowered it to 200 because more statins, right? We have to acknowledge big pharma is running the show. I mean, more so in the last couple of years, right? 
Big pharma is about money. They control more than what you even know. They have their hands in the supplement industry. They're tied to the oil and gas industry. I mean, come on. Big pharma is big pharma. Started with Carnegie years ago in my old town of Pittsburgh. And in order to get more people on statins, you got to have them flagged high, right? You got to have that little that little H next to your total cholesterol. You got to have it in red when you're looking at your lab so that you panic and then you go to your doctor or your doctor says, hey, Susie, you have high cholesterol. We should put you on a statin. Now, here's the thing. Cholesterol is a building block for testosterone. And I will argue that one of the reasons that we are seeing a demasculinization of America is because so many men are on statins and that is lowering their cholesterol to the point where it's not even healthy, it's too low. And then you're taking away the building blocks of having natural testosterone. Cholesterol is needed by the body. Every single cell in your body has a lipid fat layer. So without enough cholesterol, your cells are not protected and you don't have the building blocks for hormones, specifically testosterone. You don't want to drop your cholesterol too low. Now, I have naturally low cholesterol. That's just me. But right now I'm coming in at a 162 for my total. But you bet your ass if that was high, if that was 250, 300, I'd be pumped because that means I have more cholesterol on board as a building block for testosterone. Now, I do have to work on my HDL. When you move over to the HDL, I really do like that 50 or above. So that kind of goes in the reference range for the standard lab value range. Mine's coming into 48. So I'm going to toss in some omega-3s and I'm really going to work on, I eat a ton of grass-fed meat, which is full of omegas, but I'm going to add in some more wild-caught salmon, all that good stuff. Now, my LDL is actually flagged high at 101. Do I care? No. I had a 72-year-old patient years ago that was put on statins back in her 50s and they wrecked her. Those statins wore her out. I mean, she was active. She's active to this day. Skiing, water skiing, one-legged water skiing, working out. She's built like a brick shit house. And her, her LDL was in the 300s, 342. Her doctor put her on statins in her 50s. Her husband's doing some research saying, you know, I don't know. This isn't that great. She thought she was just getting older. She was losing her breath, walking up the stairs. She was fatigued. She just wasn't as active as she once was. She went off the statin. All of her energy came back. Living a great life, active, fit, healthy. She's now in her late 70s. She's a rock star. So if that LDL goes up to 300, I don't care. Don't care. Not going to put you on a statin for that. So that's your lipid panel. So basically don't panic. When when would I start to, to be concerned? If that total cholesterol is creeping into the four five hundreds, if your LDL is four or five hundred, you know, if your HDL is in the toilet, you got to work on that. Your triglycerides are a direct reflection of what you're putting in your mouth. So what raises cholesterol? Let's talk about that too. I've talked often about the thyroid insulin cholesterol triangle. When the thyroid is off, it is going to drive cholesterol to be off. Now, does that necessarily mean that it's bad if it's flagged or if it's red? No, but having an, an off, non-optimized thyroid will make your cholesterol numbers look wonky. The main driver of cholesterol is not red meat, not egg yolks. It's high insulin. It's all the white 
processed, high carbohydrate, sugar laden food that we're shoving in our faces in the standard American diet that is driving up cholesterol. It is absolutely not fat. Now, if you're going to the bar and you're eating fried food, like breaded fried zucchini, then it's the breading and the bad oil. So PUFAs do come into play in, when we're looking at a lipid panel. So if you're eating a lot of bad fats, canola oil, soybean oil, yes, that, that can create inflammation and drive up cholesterol as well because we know that the PUFAs cause insulin resistance. So it's not the fat that is driving the cholesterol. It is the fact that the PUFAs create inflammation and drive up insulin and make you insulin resistant along with the white, crappy, standard American diet, high carbohydrate, high sugar foods. So you eliminate those, you clean up your diet that way, lower your insulin, now your cholesterol is coming into range and you're optimizing your thyroid. When we go into the comprehensive metabolic panel, there are certain things that you look at and certain things that you kind of you know, set aside. So where my eyes tend to go, if you're blood urea nitrogen or your bun creatinine ratio is off, usually it means that you are dehydrated. So we kind of take that into account because you're going in the morning to get your labs. Chances are you haven't chugged, at least I'm not good at this. I should chug some water before I go to get labs because that even makes it easier to obtain blood, but I don't. And so I come up dehydrated. If you have the cortisol awakening response, you might get an elevated glucose in the morning. That's why I always look at insulin and hemoglobin A1C, more so insulin. So I look at insulin for insulin resistance. We can't always rely on glucose. Now, if you're fasting glucose, fat, truly fasted, it's not that you drank a cup of coffee before you went, truly fasted glucose is 120, then that, that's a problem. Then you're having some issues with glucose regulation. But if you're rolling in at like a 92, like I am, not necessarily anything to worry about. I have that cortisol awakening response where I have high cortisol in the morning and that pushes up my blood glucose. Sodium, we want 140 or above. That just is very protective for your adrenals. And then we look at protein total. I like it seven or above. If it's low, it's not really a 100% measurement of the protein you're taking in, but it does give me a peek inside your body. And if it is coming in at like a 6.2, 6.5, then you're not taking in enough protein. End of story. AST and ALT, I do like in the teens. I like it around like an 18, 19, something like that, maybe a 20. My ALT is coming in high. It actually is flagged at a 31. So that is a problem. So what does that mean? I need to get back on my liver fixer and take it every single day and take that for a good month until I see those enzymes come down. Now, when I look at the overtime marker and I see what my AST and ALT has been in the past, I can see that I don't have this trend of having elevated AST, ALT. So I'm not going to panic about it whatsoever. The last time it was high was back in 2020 and I was up to a 43. So at that point in time, I did actually take liver support, a liver detox and my liver fixer wasn't out at the time. So I took another one and it did come back down. So my past... Readings of ALT, 21, 20, and 18, beautiful. This is the, the only time that it spiked to 31. So I need to get back on liver fixer. 
Same with AST. I've had a 17. I've had a 16. I've had a 15. Now I'm at a 23. Going on liver fixer will help with that. When we're looking at, I'm not getting to the thyroid yet. We're still going. We're still going. When I'm looking at a CBC. So Kylie Burton and I did a podcast where we went over the really intricate details of a CBC. But in general, when I'm looking at the monocytes and we're looking at the percent of monocytes, we want to see that below a seven because anything above a seven, that's going to be indicative of some kind of viral infection. And then when we move over to the percents of the neutrophils and the lymphocytes, if those are very close to a one-to-one ratio, that can be indicative of autoimmune. Now, it might be not be exact. It might not be a 50 and a 50, but it's going to be, and it probably won't be a 50-50 because you're going to have some monocytes, eosinophils, basophils. So let's just say it's a 48 and a 45. Like that's still a one-to-one ratio. It's still very, very close. And that's indicative of autoimmune. Right now, my neutrophils are 62. My lymphocytes are 29. It's very, very far apart. So not a one-to-one ratio. Now, when lymphocytes are above a 30, that can be indicative of a viral infection. And if neutrophils are above a 60, which mine are 62.9, it could be a bacterial infection. It's not for sure. It just could be. Going back to the monocytes, if they're above an 11%, that could mean an active Epstein-Barr virus. So you may or may not have kicked up your EBV into an active state. You'll be very, very tired. You probably will feel it. And then eosinophils above a three can be indicative of parasites or food intolerances. So it's kind of, it's a little bit uh, sporadic there that we can't necessarily nail the eosinophils being above a three as, oh my gosh, you have parasites, but it's possible. If we go back up to the WBC, white blood cell count, we really want that in the five to eight range. Low is going to indicate a low grade infection, no energy. Maybe you can't get pregnant. You're going to have anxiety and depression. And then over an eight is going to be a long-term infection, something that's been around for a long time. When we look at homocysteine, we want the homocysteine between a six and an eight. Many of you I know are taking methylated B vitamins because you've heard, read, all of that, that methylated is better. It's only better if you're not methylating. Your homocysteine If it is high, you are not methylating. So if it's above an eight, you're not methylating. If it's above a 10, you have an increase in heart disease, an increased risk in heart disease and memory loss. If it's below a six, then you are over methylating. So if it's below a six, you do not want to be taking methylated B vitamins because you're over methylating already. That's where you want to take the B fixer. Because I made that specifically because I see more people that are over-methylating than those who don't methylate. And if you are over-methylating, that can increase your risk of all cancers. Okay. Albumin, when you're looking at that, if it's low, that could mean that something's going on with your kidneys. And if it's high, it could be going on with your kidneys, but it could also mean that you need some vitamin C. Moving on to insulin. I've said this over and over again. We want insulin below a six. I'm at a 4.3, yay. So insulin is below a six. Vitamin D, obviously we want 80 to 100 and ferritin, 60 to 80. Although I have a separate podcast on that where I do discuss there are some doctors out there that want 
your ferritin at 100 if you have Hashimoto's. So really 60 to 80 is great. If you hit 100, not a problem whatsoever. Not a problem. So I would go, ferritin should be anywhere between 60 and like 110. That's what we're going to say. Now, some of you have asked in the Girl Fix Your Thyroid group, how do you know when you need betaine hydrochloric acid? Well, number one, if you have Hashimoto's, you are going to be low in your production of HCL. So that is where I really, really love digestive enzymes that have betaine hydrochloric acid in them. So very, very soon, maybe by the time you're listening to this, maybe shortly after, I'm coming out with Digest Fixer that is just the perfect blend. So it's going to have betaine HCL. It's going to have the digestive enzymes to break down proteins, carbs, and fats. Really specifically made for my Hashi patients, but many people need this as well because a lot of you have acid reflux and you're not, you're taking these acid blockers, the PPIs, the Tums, the Prilosec. And the real problem is, is you're not producing enough hydrochloric acid, which seems counterintuitive. Why would I take hydrochloric acid if I have acid reflux? When you give the body the acid, it doesn't overproduce it. It's kind of similar, you know, the best way to think about this, remember when you were young and you dealt with acne and you would scrub your face, right? Remember Seabreeze? I use Seabreeze like it was going out of style. We'd wipe it on our face with a cotton ball. Oh my gosh, it would dry the hell out of your skin. And then we would think, I want to get rid of the oil because I'm breaking out. But in, in contrast to that, what would happen is your skin would actually overproduce sebum. So it would overproduce oil because you're stripping the oils. Same thing here. It's going to, your stomach is going to overproduce acid because you don't have enough there because you're blocking it, because you're tumsing it, you're prilosecing it. Sometimes taking hydrochloric acid is very, very helpful. So you want to look at your blood urea and nitrogen, your bun. And if that is low, you're going to need hydrochloric acid. Now, what is low? So we really want your bun to be, you know, something like 11, 12-ish. That's a really good, nice range. If you're, if it's too low, if it's really, if it's below a 10, you need betaine hydrochloric acid. I have never been below a 10. I'm good. I take digestive enzymes all the time, all the time. All right. Now we're going to move into the good stuff. Let's talk thyroid. Okay. So here's the thing. There are so many different scenarios that we can talk about. So let's just kind of go through the different ones that come to mind. Number one, when we're looking at TSH. Optimal, as you know, is below a two. But what if your TSH is coming in absolutely perfect and you're not even on medication? You're not on medication. Your TSH is coming in at a one. But then we move down and we look at your free T3 and your free T4. And those are both low. Well, then the problem is, is those two thyroid hormones, we're measuring what your thyroid gland is actually producing. It's not producing enough. Now, the pituitary hasn't picked up on that yet and hasn't really started screaming at the thyroid, which is why your TSH is good. I won't even say the word normal. Your TSH is good. It's a one because your, your pituitary hasn't even picked up on it yet. But if you're looking at the free T3 and the, and the free T4, and both of those are low and you're not on medication, that's definitely indicative of a thyroid problem. Now, of course, we'll move over and we'll look at your TPO antibodies, your TGA antibodies. We'll check for Hashimoto's. We'll also look at your reverse T3. 
But just those two hormones being low alone and then connect it with your symptoms and you have all the symptoms, well, then that in and of itself is a problem and in and of itself is indicative of hypothyroidism and that would require treatment. Now, let's say you're on medication. So now let's do some scenarios. Let's say you are on T4 only, which is the most common. Even T4 only can suppress your TSH. So even though you feel like absolute garbage and you're dealing with every single symptom under the sun, the weight gain, the constipation, the fatigue, the hair loss, all the things, your TSH is still in that normal range or it's in the optimal range. So your TSH can become suppressed on T4 only. That doesn't mean that you're optimal. That's why we don't rely on TSH alone. I don't know how many times I can say this. Really, there's not enough. You don't rely on TSH alone. If your doctor is relying on TSH alone, you run and not walk out of that office and you find another doctor and you work with somebody that knows the thyroid because it goes back to what I said in the very beginning. The thyroid is a nuanced art. It takes an expert to really get you optimized. It doesn't matter if that person has functional, integrative, alternative, naturopath, naturopathic in front of their name that doesn't make them a thyroid expert. It just doesn't. You have to work with someone that knows what the hell they're doing with the thyroid. And hopefully these scenarios make you see this. So you're on T4 only, your TSH is suppressed. So then we move down to your free T4 and your free T3. And I had this discussion with a colleague the other day. What if the free T4 is high? Is that a problem? I said, yeah, it's a problem. Because we actually don't want that free T4 too high because that's going to be indicative of a person being on too much T4, T4 only, too high of a dose, which many of you are on. I know that. So how many? Just raise your hands as you're watching this, listening to this. In your car, just one hand that steering wheel. Are you on above 100 micrograms of T4 and that's it? No T3 in the mix? And every single time you go in, your doctor goes, well, we'll just take that up. So you go to 112 and you go to 125 and now you're at 150. Maybe you're at 175. God forbid you're at 200 micrograms of T4. And that free T4 just keeps going up and that's all they're looking at. So they're testing TSH and maybe free T4. And that's what they're relying on. Meanwhile, you have all the symptoms still. So what we want to do is test the reverse T3. If that free T, well, we, we test it every time. But if your free T4 is high, then we just bounce right over and we look at that reverse. And chances are really, really good that that's going to be above a 12. We want reverse T3 below a 12. Too much T4 is going to push over to reverse T3 and that reverse T3 will be high. Then we look at the free T3 and that's probably going to be low. You're probably going to be rolling in at 2.2, 2.5, something like that. And you're still going to have all the symptoms. So this is where we pair up how you feel with what we're looking at. So what do we do in that scenario? We drop that T4 down and we add in T3. That's the only thing that's going to push the reverse down, allow the free T4 to drop and the free T3 to come up. So that's another scenario. Third scenario, you're on armor. So you're getting 80% T4, 20% T3. We test your TSH and because T3 is in the mix, that TSH is most likely going to be suppressed. I don't care if you're on five micrograms or 150 micrograms of T3, that TSH is dropping down. We already talked about the fact that TSH can become suppressed if you're on T4 only. It's definitely going to become suppressed if you're on T3. I had a patient the other day who's working with a 
not knowledgeable endocrinologist. I know that's a shocker, isn't it? I think those words just should go together. Like why even use the word endo? Just go non-knowledgeable endocrinologist. They just all fit together. But I digress. Anyway, she was working with an endo and she has a history of capillary thyroid cancer. Her endocrinologist actually told her that the only way to keep her TSH suppressed is to add on more T4 and not T3. Are you kidding me? Number one, maybe, maybe T4 will suppress your TSH. Not guaranteed. Like I said earlier, we do see a suppressed TSH with people on T4 only, usually a large amount because the doctor just keeps dumping on more and more T4 and they don't feel better. But it can suppress the TSH. But it's not guaranteed. And putting on more T4 onto a person that we already lowered her T4, why? Because her reverse T3 was a 25. So, oh yeah, let's bring that back up. Let's let's definitely add in more T4 to supposedly maybe lower the TSH and then watch her reverse T3 go back up and all of her hypo symptoms come back. I know, why don't we just add in some T3 because she's doing well on it anyways. And if you really want to suppress that TSH, because post-cancer, we do want it suppressed. We don't want tissue growing back. So let's suppress that TSH. That's fine. But let's do it with T3. That's going to make her feel better. It matches with her number. She's already doing well on it. Why would you add in something that's going to convert to reverse when we already see that history of someone converting to reverse T3? Why would you add on more T4? It doesn't make sense. So let me go back to the scenario of armor. You always have to look at reverse T3 because even though armor is a much better med, much better thyroid hormone replacement than T4 only because you're at least getting a little bit of T3 in the mix. It still comes with the issue of being 80% T4. So you still have to move over here and look at reverse T3 because armor NP can still push up reverse T3. It's 80% T4. And when you have that much T4 on board, you can push to reverse. Now, let's do the scenario that you're on 120 milligrams of armor. Hopefully you're split dosing at 60 and 60. And we're still seeing, like we're seeing your reverse is fine. Like you're converting just fine. That reverse is rolling in at a 10. TSH is suppressed. We know that. Push that aside. Let's really look at that free T3 and let's pair that up with your symptoms. So let's say the free T3 is coming in again, 2.8, 2.9. You tell me that you are feeling amazing. Everything is perfect. You're losing weight. You're feeling better. Okay, then we leave it alone. You tell me that you're still struggling with symptoms. You're not losing weight. You're gaining weight. You're still constipated. You're still tired. Let's either increase your armor because you are converting that reverse is a 10 or, and this is the beauty of the nuanced art of thyroid optimization. We can add in lyothyronine. We can add in T3. We can change that ratio up. So we can add in T3 to the armor. And now instead of being 80-20, now you're making your total percentage of T4, T3, you're changing that up and you're making it maybe 60-40. And that's okay. Maybe your body does better on that. So that's enough T3 to reduce your symptoms, to bring up that free T3 level. Maybe we want to push that a little bit further, 3.5, 3.7, closer to four. And you're feeling good. So it's going to pair up with your symptoms. So that's what I would do in that case. And then there is the case of T3 only which is myself and some of you. T3 only is going to suppress your TSH. 
you are not going to have any T4 on board unless you still have a functioning thyroid that is producing it. So if you look at your total T4 or your free T4, it's going to be low. It's going to be non-existent. So my own thyroid gland stopped working a little while ago, not a little while ago, many years ago. And I'm going to talk about that negative feedback loop in a second. So I am not going to register T4 because I'm not taking any and my thyroid isn't producing any. Do I care? No, because I'm optimized. I'm totally optimized. I invite you all into optimization land with me. It's a great place to be. I feel great. My weight is stable. I sleep well. I poop every day. It's a, it's a great place to be. But you have to get there with the help of somebody that knows what they're doing. So my free T3 is really the only thing that I look at. There's no point in looking at reverse T3 because it's always going to be low. Why? Because the only thing that converts to reverse T3 is T4. Do we panic over a low reverse T3? No, no, we don't. Now, unless you're one of those people that can convert and for some odd reason, your reverse T3 just dropped, but you're on T4 and T3. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why did it drop? But that's very rare. And it's still not something that I really focus on. Maybe the person just needs more T4. We need to bring up that reverse a little bit. But we don't worry about it. If you're on T3 only, that reverse is going to be non-existent. The free T3, free T4 is going to be non-existent. The free T3 will fall into the range. Make sure that you don't take your T3 medication 18 to 24 hours before your lab so you don't get a falsely elevated free T3. But if you do wait that amount of time, then it should be coming in at 3.5 or above or the upper quadrant of the range. Now, myself, I went, I want to say it was probably 18 hours. And my free T3 is not in the optimal range, but I know I'm optimal. So I'm coming in at a 2.6, which is kind of low. But again, I am optimal. You are more than a lab value. And I stress this. I have stressed this in other podcasts and other videos. I, I beg and plead with you, especially if you're one of my patients, I beg and plead with you, do not become, we'll say, brainwashed by your numbers. Don't let your lab values become a placebo effect. Meaning, if you look at your lab, you're like, oh my God, my free T3, it's only 2.6. It's not optimal. So therefore, I must not be optimal. Are you? Only you know. Do you feel good? Be honest with yourself. I am. I'm honest with myself. I don't care. Whatever that free T3 is, okay. I'm not going to raise my T3. I'm good. I'm optimal. I feel great. Now, if I was sluggish, if I started packing on the pounds, then I would look at that free T3 and I go, all right, well, there it is. There's the answer. I need to bump up my T3 med. So you have to take it all into context. You have to look at how you feel in addition to your labs, the labs are there to give us direction, to walk us down a path that we should be on that gives us an answer to your symptoms. So you always start with a, how do you feel? You always start with the symptoms and then you can pair that up with the labs and let the labs be an explanation for the symptoms. Don't let them be a placebo diagnostic tool where you go, I see these labs and therefore I must be feeling like garbage when you're really not, when you're, when you're really not always go with your symptoms and how you feel first. 
But these different scenarios should give you kind of a sneak peek into why we don't panic when certain things are flagged. So if you look at mine, my TSH is flagged low. It is red as red can be. My total T4 and my free T4 are flagged low. They're non-existent. My reverse T3 is flagged low. It is non-existent. And my free T3 is fine. So you always have to look at the labs and how you feel. Okay, last thing I'll go over with labs, of course, are the hormones. We're just going to do a general overview. I have talked about this in depth many, many times. And we could probably do an entire podcast on hormone labs. But your total testosterone for a woman should be 50 or above. The free testosterone for a woman should be halfway or above in that reference range. So it's very, very interesting. The total testosterone reference range on here, it only goes to 45. So I'm doing a talk at KetoCon in a week or so talking about the keys to fat loss, thyroid, testosterone, and insulin. And on one of my slides, of course, I have what the standard lab value range is for total testosterone for men and women. And I reference the fact that the total testosterone range for a woman doesn't even go up to optimal. I've seen it go up to 48 where it cuts you off just two points before optimal. This one only goes up to a 45 on Quest. So you hitting an optimal total testosterone as a female, you're going to be flagged high. That is going to be red. It's going to have an H next to it. Now, men, you poor guys, your range goes from 250 to maybe an 1100, although I think they've shortened it a little bit. I think they brought it down to 1000. Your optimal is 800 or above. So if you're rolling in, again, at a 275, 300, 325, 400, 450, 500, 550, 600, 650, 700, you're not even hitting optimal yet but you're going to be told that you're normal and everything is fine. It's pathetic. It's pathetic when it comes to testosterone. And the reason why testosterone is so difficult to get, and I've said this in other podcasts and I will say it over and over again on here, the reason why the DEA is making it so impossible to get testosterone, the reason why they're putting it into the same category as opioids, the reason why now they are talking about forcing a law where someone has to be seen once a month or once a year, or once every two years. I don't know what the hell they're talking about now. And it's probably not going to go through. So don't panic because there are way too many prescribers that are like, what the F are you talking about? We don't have time to see somebody once a month just to be prescribing them testosterone. But the reason why they're doing this is because testosterone covers and optimizes a host of other symptoms that you will now not need big pharma for. So testosterone is heart protective. There goes the statins, right? It improves your mood. There goes the antidepressants, very similar to thyroid, improving your thyroid. Testosterone improves erectile dysfunction. So yeah, guys, I don't care if you use it with a little bit of Viagra, but now you're not relying on Viagra because your testosterone is actually optimal. Testosterone protects your bones. Testosterone helps your hair. It improves so many different aspects of life that if we just prescribe a hormone or any of the hormones, but they're really making it hard for testosterone, if we prescribe that, then what happens to big pharma? What happens to all those scripts? Big pharma loses money with testosterone. So make sure your testosterone is in the optimal range. Ladies, estradiol, you're not even getting the heart of bone protection until you're over 50 with your estradiol. 
your progesterone, progesterone's tough because it depends on what delivery method you're using. If you are replacing with testosterone, if you're with progesterone, if you're not using progesterone, bioidentical progesterone, and you're flat and you're actually low, not flagged low, if you're actually low, and depending on are you still cycling? When in your cycle did you take it? And that's why it's really hard to give optimal ranges for progesterone and estradiol because it really is dependent on you as an individual woman. How old are you? Are you in menopause? Are you in perimenopause? Are you still cycling? Did you have a hysterectomy? When in your cycle did you take your lab? So all of that kind of factors in. So we can give the in generals, right? When I look at a progesterone and it's flagged low, like it's a postmenopausal less than 0.5, then that's a problem. I don't care whether you are postmenopausal or not. We want to supplement with progesterone. We want to use bioidentical progesterone, which is going to help you sleep. And it's going to help your mood. And it's going to help your bones. It's going to help you anti-age. And it'll help with estrogen dominance. And it'll help your cycles if you still have it. And it'll help with anxiety. I mean, on, 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 on. Same with estradiol. Listen, estradiol is vital. It's important. We want, we want optimal estradiol on board too. Again, for all the things. For the protection of your hair, you know, the reason why old ladies have seen, I was getting my hair done yesterday. This woman, woman was next to me. She had to be in her late 60s, early 70s. And she had that see-through hair. Like she was getting a color, but I could see her scalp. I could see her scalp. Ladies, you shouldn't have that. If you can see your scalp, you have a thyroid problem. You are incredibly low in estradiol. You're probably not on hormone replacement and you should be because of all the other beneficial effects, the protection against cancer, the, the bone loss protection, the anti-aging protection, the brain protection, the reduction in Alzheimer's and dementia protection. But you're going to have see-through hair if you don't have enough estradiol on board. And then we move into, do you have enough ferritin? Is your ferritin low? Are you eating enough protein? Those are other episodes that you can go back and listen to. But estradiol is vital. It's vital. We need it. So those are the, in general, we talked about SHBG. SHBG, we want between a 60 and an 80. If it's too high, you want add-in bedroom fixer, formerly known as SHBG fixer to help lower it. And then ladies, one last thing, FSH, we really want to keep it between a 20 and a 25 in menopause because once it goes over that 25, that's where you start putting on the LBs, putting on the LBs. So we definitely want that in the 20 to 25 range for FSH. So hopefully this gives you a really nice overview plus a couple scenarios of your labs. Thank you for those who have put out these ideas. And again, if you want additional help, you want to ask questions about you, about your labs, you want to join in on a fantastic community, one which, again, we pop into, we do Facebook Lives, I'm in there answering questions. I'm asking for your opinion, like I did with this podcast. What do you want to hear about? I want to hear from you. So go to Facebook, join the Girl Fix Your Thyroid group, and we'll hook you up. We will hook you up because I'm in there every single day. All right, guys, take care of yourself, grab your labs, and do some comparison with this episode. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you loved it. And as always, if you would be so kind to leave a review if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, that would be absolutely amazing. I read all of them. Also, anything that you hear on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition. So we always recommend that you check with your medical provider, your doctor, your nurse practitioner before implementing anything that you hear on this podcast. And if you want to find out more about working together, 
You can click the link below in the show notes to book a discovery call. And there you'll be talking to a member of my team. They are an extension of me. They are amazing. And you and I will talk after that once we get you all signed up and you and I get to work together. All right. I hope to see you soon.